You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you and thank you for your abundant grace to us that has been given to us in Jesus and that all of Scripture bears witness to him. We pray now that as we turn to your word, that you would illumine our hearts and our minds in the reading and preaching of it, that we would not be those who walk away unchanged, but that we would respond to your word with obedience and with love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, church family. So good to see you today. Um, Like Rick said earlier, we are now here in the second Sunday of Easter. Um, This is a a calendar that we often use here at 3rd that just reminds us that as followers of Jesus, we even tell time differently. Uh, We order our whole lives around Jesus and his person and work for us. And so we've just finished that season of Lent in which we were really focused on the suffering and the crucifixion of Jesus. And that reminded us of our own sin and our own battles against what harms us. Uh, but this new season, which is a full 50 days, so longer than Lent, um, is this, this season of Eastertide, in which we are going deep to understand the implications and the power of the resurrection of Jesus for us. Um, another cool thing about these next few weeks is we have a new art exhibit um, that's in the hallway down the hall. You might have seen it. Um, we have uh, this exhibit that was created by an artist named Scott Erickson, and it's, it's called The Stations of the Resurrection. And there's 14 different images that he's created that each relate to some aspect of the story of the resurrection um, and the resurrection appearances. And so each, all of them, all 14 of them are hung down our hallway. Um, and so hope you'll take some time sometime in the next couple months to slowly work through those. Each one of them has a little QR code in the top right. You can scan your phone and it brings up the scripture passage and also a reflection from the artist. Um, so this is just yet another way that we're hoping to really go deep in our reflection on the power of the resurrection this season. So let's turn to God's word. This morning we're hearing um, Frank Faust is going to read to us what is probably the, the, the most classic passage on the resurrection from 1 Corinthians 15. We're actually going to be in this passage a lot um, in the coming weeks, but we're going to begin today by hearing these verses from 1 Corinthians 15. So let's hear as Frank reads to us. Today's scripture is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, and verses 20 through 28. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, 
Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want you to think with me about what's happened in the last week, okay? This time last week, just picture this time last week, okay? There were so many of us packed in here for three different services, and we were all wearing our Sunday best, and we were all ringing our bells, and we were all celebrating, and it was an incredibly wonderful, joyous, happy time, pulling out our best music, pulling out all the stops, right? And then you probably went home, and you ate a tasty brunch or lunch, and you ate lots of candy, and you fell into a sugar coma, you know, around 2 or 3 p.m., and, you know, you went to the end of the day, and just like, what a great, what a great Easter day, what a great Easter day. But then you just started living your week. And my guess is, is that your life last week was probably a whole lot like your life the week before. That you, you know, had the same problems and the same annoying uh, issues at work and school and home and the same struggles in your personal life and the same struggles in your marriage, the same struggles in your relationships. And the same things appear to be happening in the world. The economy is still struggling. The gas prices are still high. The war is still waging in Ukraine. And if you were a cynical person, you might ask yourself, okay, Easter, what's the point? Has Easter actually changed anything? Has the resurrection of Jesus made any difference to the world at all? Well, you might say, um, maybe nothing much has changed a whole lot in this life, but Jesus has defeated death so that we can experience eternal life when we die. So it's not about anything now, it's about what we will get to experience one day. Okay, maybe that's true, but is that really what the resurrection is all about? Life after death. Is that really why Jesus rose from the dead? So that you can go to heaven one day when you die. You get, one day you'll get to experience the benefits of Jesus' resurrection, but for now, you're just kind of plugging along life as normal. Is that all that Easter means? No! <laughs> it's not a high... I, I was hoping someone would answer. Yeah, thanks. No! No! That's what this series is about, is that the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has released the power of God into our lives right now. And though it may be hard to recognize, it's hard to see, 
Sometimes it's even hard to believe this. The resurrection has indeed changed everything. That is changing individual people. It is changing communities. It is indeed changing the whole world. And the call of the church, friends, is not to twiddle our thumbs and wait around. One day when we get to experience the benefits of the resurrection, the promise, the call of the church is here and now we are to live as God's resurrection people right now. The resurrection changes everything, how we live our daily lives, how we relate to other people, how we handle suffering and pain, how we do our work, how we form community, how we engage with the problems and the struggles of the world. The resurrection is the most important event in the history of the world and it is meant to change everything about the way that you live right now in your everyday life today. Do you believe that? Okay, I'm glad you do. And I'm glad you're finally answering my questions. I was, I was wondering when the Presbyterians would one day wake up. Okay, so that's what we're going to explore the next few months, the implications of this. Now, to do this, for us to spend the next couple months going deep into the powerful implications of the resurrection, I've got to talk today, I've got to lay down a theological principle that is absolutely vital if you're going to understand the way that the resurrection works in the world. And I want to warn you, it's a bit dense, okay? The sermon is a bit dense, so I want you to just kind of hold on, okay? And um, listen like you were listening to your AP chemistry teacher at school. Like it's that important, okay? Because I know you love that. So let's quickly review the big story of the Bible together, okay? We, we, we talk about this big story a lot. Um, in the beginning, God created the world. He made it good and perfect and beautiful where everything was in unity, everything was in harmony, right? We had a perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other and perfect relationship with creation, with God as the king, the world was as we all would want the world to be, right? But we also know that chapter two of that story is that sin entered into the world, and sin is essentially rejecting or turning away from God as king. And when that happened, everything in creation, everything in our life began to unravel. And so our relationship with God was destroyed, our relationship with each other was conflicted, our relationship with even creation was in pain. Um, and so everything that we hate about the world, you know, from, from poverty and racism to war and crime to despair and aging and death, all are a result of this cosmic disintegration that has occurred. But here's what we knew about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was always this promise, right? There was this promise that one day the Lord would come again. He would return as king. And when the Lord comes and returns as king, he would take all of the broken pieces of this cursed world and he would restore them. He would renew them. He would take what was wrong and make it right. He would reverse the curse of death, even, even resurrect people and end the pain of aging, sorrow, and death itself. And so by the time that Jesus came along, it had been several thousand years since God's people had been living with this promise that God was going to return as king. And they were anticipating that this Messiah, this king, would come soon. And so if you could diagram what they were hoping for, I have a little diagram here for you. This is kind of the expectations of the first century Jewish community at the time, is that we were living in this old age, this present world that was marked by sin and suffering and death and futility, but that one day this Messiah would come, and as soon as the Messiah came, there would be a sudden ending of the old age, that the old age of sin and death and suffering would come conclusively to an end, and the new age of everlasting life and hope and everlasting love and beauty would begin to continue forever when God reigns as king. So that was the expectation at the time. So you can imagine that when Jesus showed up and he begins 
doing a lot of things that they expected the Messiah to do, they were really excited. Here's this man. He appears to be doing all of the things that the Messiah was promised to do. He's healing. He's saving. He's calming storms. He's feeding the poor. Uh, he's caring for the vulnerable. He's um, coming up against the, 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 the uh, oppressors. He's, uh, he's preaching about God's kingdom. So everyone was hoping and expecting, here is the Messiah. The kingdom of God is about to come. The old world is about to end. The new world is about to begin. But then what happened? Anyone? <laughs> he, he was crucified. <laughs> he was crucified. This one that they believed would bring the kingdom was killed. And all of their hopes were dashed. And then the most bizarre thing happened. This Messiah that they believed would bring this new age, this new kingdom, he rose from the dead. He appeared to his friends. He ascended into heaven. He gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And here's the weirdest thing of all. The world kept going. The world kept going. And so instead of this... What we actually see happen is this next diagram that's slightly more complicated. Um, bear with me, class. But this is, this, is, this, is a, this is a New Testament timeline of creation. So, you know, the old age is present, is coming along. The Messiah comes the first time. Jesus comes, and at his resurrection, he launches, he inaugurates his kingdom. The new age has begun, right? Jesus says, the kingdom is here. The kingdom, the kingdom has begun. And yet... The old age hasn't ended. So even as those new believers experience Jesus, experience his power, experience this power of the Holy Spirit, their life was still marked by suffering and struggle and pain and, and even death. And the Bible says this is what things are going to be like until that second coming of Jesus, the parousia or the return of Jesus Christ, when, as we heard in the text this morning, God, Jesus hands all things over to the kingdom of the Father and death conclusively comes to an end and God is all in all. This is what Paul means in the, our text this morning. If you have First, um, first Corinthians 15 open, you'll see that Paul uses this. It's a, it's a complicated um, text, I know, um, but this is what he says. He says, for in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. For each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he will hand over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Paul uses the metaphor of first fruits. It's an Old Testament metaphor. First fruits was when they would grow a crop. They were all farmers at the time. They'd grow a crop and they would take the very first things that grew and offer them up in thanksgiving to God. Anybody farmer? Anybody like to grow a garden in here? Anybody like to grow a garden? Anybody have planted some tomatoes recently? So you, know, you, you, plant, you plant your tomatoes in the ground. Um, and the first fruits, maybe around like late May, you see the first little tomatoes coming out. That's the first fruits of your tomatoes. And not only is it the first fruit, literally, it is also meant to be a, uh, a foretaste or a pledge even of the full harvest so that you see these little tomatoes one day, maybe late July, you're going to have a whole bucket full of them. You can make some serious salsa right? And so the, the first, the, it's the, the foretaste of what is to come. And in the same way, Paul says, Jesus' resurrection in the middle of history 
was the first fruit of what he will ultimately do for all who belong to him. It is a foretaste. Jesus is rising from the dead was the foretaste that one day you too will be risen from the dead and all creation itself will be risen. It's a foretaste of what is to come, but it also means that we have the power and the presence of the future resurrection in the present moment. The power, listen to this, the power by which one day God will destroy all evil and death has now been made available to us now in the present moment through the resurrected Jesus who is available to us in the here and now. N.T. Wright says it like this. He says, the resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. It is the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth that is in heaven. The resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. So where are you? You are here. You are in the already and the not yet. This is where you live, brother. This is where you live, sister. Jesus is already risen. His kingdom is already inaugurated. The world is already being made new. His power is already advancing. And yet, the old world has not yet ended. Evil and sin has not yet been fully vanquished. The new creation has not yet fully come. This is where you live. The already and not yet, you live in the in-between. You see that? And that's why life feels so weird sometimes. These days, um, I hear that when a couple gets married, they can do um, what's called a tasting, a tasting, where, you know, they decide what food they want at their reception, you know, what hors d'oeuvres and what food and drink and dessert. And the caterer will come and actually create a miniature foretaste so that they can eat and experience and perhaps judge Right now, what will eventually be celebrated at their wedding banquet, right? They are tasting now a foretaste of what they will soon experience in fullness. And this is what the resurrection of Jesus has done for us. We will one day sit together at the wedding feast of the Lamb in a new creation where there is no more death or suffering or pain or tears. We will, we will be there, friends. But we don't just have to wait for it. Jesus is the caterer who has come into the present moment through the power of the Spirit and is already giving us a taste of the feast, is already giving us an experience that we might be nourished by that future feast that we can taste even now. And so let me put it this way. If you don't listen to anything else, listen to this. The resurrection is not just hope for the future. It is hope from the future. Does that make sense? It is hope from the future, the living power of God's new world available to us in the here and now. That's what's so crazy. We get to taste it here and now. And this is why Paul writes in things like Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. You see what he's saying? He's saying, I pray, would you open your eyes? Would you see that you don't just have to twiddle around and live in the futility of your meaningless existence and feel like you're overcome every day by the problems that you face? Do you see that right now we've got... Put on your spectacles. We've got to open your eyes to see that the same power that God used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, he has now implanted 
in you. Holy cow. Holy cow. Right? So, hey, class, are you getting this? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Okay. Okay. Are you guys following me? You really, this is, this is what you have to understand. This is the way the resurrection works in the world. The whole sermon is going to be, the whole series is going to be based on this principle that the resurrection is our future hope. It is also hope from the future for us here and now. Okay. So let me just unpack a few implications of this. This whole series is going to be about the implications of this, but I just want to outline a few. Here at Third, we use this little thing we call a discipleship triangle. If you want to grow as a follower of Jesus, you need to be growing in these three relationships. Your relationship with God, that's up. Your relationship with fellow believers, that's in. And your relationship for the world in need, that's out, right? That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to grow up in and out. But the resurrection transforms all three of those things. It transforms your life with God. It transforms your life in community. It transforms your life and mission for the world. So let's just briefly touch on each of those things. So first, how does the resurrection change your own personal life with God? Well, goodness, it changes everything, right? Um, think, about who you, think about your identity for a second. Um, the Bible says that before you know Christ, you're stuck, stuck in your sin, stuck in brokenness, stuck in self-sabotaging attempts to change yourself. We're imprisoned, we're dead, we're stuck. But when we trust in the risen Jesus, something happens. Oh my gosh, we're set free. Paul says we're set free from the guilt and judgment of sin. He said in our text this morning, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Jesus' death was not just some random execution. It was, a, it was a ransom that was paid where Jesus received the just penalty of our sin, that he, was, he paid for our sin and received his judgment. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, it was like receipts, proof, evidence that sin has fully been paid for and there is no longer anything left for you. You know when you like go to Costco, any of y'all shop at Costco, and you know you're, you, you buy your 200 rolls of toilet paper and your 50 pound cheese wheel and you're, and you're, you know, you're pushing, it, pushing out and then the, the guy in the door is like, do you have your receipt? Um, and you're like, oh yeah, I always feel really nervous at that moment. <laughs> I'm like, oh shoot, do I have my receipt? Oh, thank goodness it's here. Because my receipt is proof that I paid for the cheese wheel, right? It's proof that this stuff has been paid for. You know what I mean? And so sometimes when you're like, oh my gosh, like, I, I don't know if like I'm clean. I don't know if like God is gonna judge me. I don't know if God's gonna send me to hell. I don't, I don't, and God, God, Jesus is like, no, look, here's the receipt paid in full. It's written over your life for all eternity. There's no judgment, no guilt, no shame, right? And so that's what the resurrection means. It's receipt. It's a proof of your, of your freedom from the guilt of sin. But not only that, it's also proof of your freedom from the power of sin, the power of sin. So Paul says this in Romans 6, don't you know this, that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, Listen to this. this. Here's the resurrection. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too, what? Huh? May live a new life. So are you just supposed to kind of sit around and say, well, I know I'm, a, I'm kind of a big old jerk, but hey, I'm forgiven. So I'm just gonna wait till get those pearly gates. No, no. 
Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, not just to set you free from the guilt of sin, but to set you free from the power of sin. So what happens when you become a Christian is that it's not just that God like wipes you clean in the legal book of the law, but he actually joins you to the resurrected Jesus Christ so that the power of God in the risen Jesus who triumphed over sin and death is now present in you. So don't you think you have the power to overcome your anger problem? Don't you think that you have the power to maybe fight with your addiction? Don't you think you have the power to overcome some of your serious character issues? Yes, because now you are united to the risen Jesus and the very power that he used to defeat death and overcome sin and Satan is now present in you. You have the power to change. See that? You know, sometimes I, I, I think about like the stuff that in my own life and I think, oh my gosh, like how screwed up am I? Like, I so want to be a better dad and a better husband and a better friend and a better man. You know, we all long to be the people that God made us to be. But like the Puritan John Slavell said, you know, we have, we have more power to stop the sun than we do to change our own hearts if it were up to us. But it's not because in and through faith, you are joined to the risen Jesus Christ and you have the power of the resurrection in you to join in God's transforming work that you indeed might become the man or the woman or the boy or the girl that God had created you to be. You see that? You see how the resurrection changes your life with God? Let's talk about how the resurrection changes our life with each other, our life in community. Remember that diagram, right? Jesus is the first fruits, the, the first taste of the resurrection that's to come. The new world that's coming, friends, it's going to be amazing. It's, creation will be wiped clean of suffering, death and tears, war and injustice, racism and division. The resurrection world that is coming has not yet come to pass, and yet God has already inaugurated it in the present moment. And so therefore, the church, this is what the whole New Testament teaches about the church. The church is called to already, through the power of the Spirit, to participate in and even model and embody the new humanity that will be completely fulfilled at the resurrection of the dead. So Paul says it like this in Galatians 3, for as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is remarkable. Paul is saying one of the marks of the new world to come is that there will be no ethnic, racial, class, and gender divisions in the new world to come. And so part of your job as the people of God is to begin living now in and through Jesus Christ to be a model, a preview, to no longer live in the old age of sinful despair and divisions and conflict, but to live in the new age of the new humanity that God is already bringing about through the power of the resurrection in Jesus Christ. That's one of our callings. Remember when we used to go to movie theaters? <laughs> I miss that. And... Um, and like the first 10 minutes were previews. I love the previews. I, I don't know why. I, I think because I really, I, it feels so cool that you're like seeing actual, it's like you're seeing the future. You're seeing actual footage of the future film that is yet to be released on the world, right? And this is what the church is called to be. We're called to be a preview community that we're to actually be actual footage of the coming feature film that is the new humanity 
in the kingdom of God. Isaiah says that kingdom will be a place where all nationalities and divisions are broken down. This is why we cherish our relationship with the Christian Arabic church and with El Sharabia and the global church. You know, we know that that will be a humanity where all divisions and national conflict and violence is broken down. We know that it will be a community where all ethnic and racial divisions are broken down. This is why we care deeply about things like racial justice and reconciliation. We know this is part of the gospel that we're called to embody and model to the world, this new humanity that is to come. We know that it will be a world that is free of conflict and hate. And so this is why in such a hateful, polarized society, we work on peacemaking and forgiveness and tearing down the walls that divide us politically and socially and all these different ways. Why? Because we are called to be a preview community. We have the very life of the resurrection of Jesus. We have not just the hope of that new humanity, but the hope of the world with us now, empowering us to be the new people of God, the resurrection community. You see that? So, so one last thing. What about how does this affect our relationship in and for the world? Gosh. It means everything, right? I mean, the resurrection of Jesus tells us that God cares about the world. Christianity is the most materialistic of all religions. And what I mean by that is this, is that we believe that God is not going to take this old world and throw it into the scrap heap of history and say, oh, glad I'm done with that. No, he is taking and redeeming this world, this creation, and purging it and redeeming it and lifting it and raising it into the world that God made it to be. This is why Paul says in Romans 8, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. What is your hope, friends? What's your hope? What are you looking forward to one day? If you listen carefully, a lot of funerals and a lot of old hymns, you'd think that our hope is to float around one day in some misty heavenly place with some harp music and angel cherub wings and chilling at the pearly gates. Is that what your hope is? I sure hope not, because you will be sorely disappointed. Because our hope is a material hope. It is an earthy hope. It is a creational hope. Our hope is that one day God will redeem the earth and be reigning as king over it again. And the resurrection means that despite the pain and the sorrow and the despair of our world, we are moving towards renewal. The darkness that you see out there in the world, that is not the darkness that you see just before a sunset when all the light is about to be extinguished. The darkness you see in the world is the light before the sunrise when the sun is about to break upon the world and all of the world will see the light of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And so this is, we are moving towards the light. We have a preview of what is to come in the resurrected, glorified body of Jesus. Death will be banished. Tears will be wiped away. Injustice will be made right. Sickness will be healed. Bodies will be restored. Relationships will be whole. And if that is our future, it means that everything we do in the present moment matters. Your work matters, your labor matters. Our care for the vulnerable matters, our care for creation matters. Everything we do matters because we are already participating in the new world to come, bearing witness to its coming through our hope-filled labor. My friend um, Tish, who's also an Anglican pastor in Texas, says, says this. 
If Jesus defeated death one morning in Jerusalem, then suddenly every revitalization, every new birth, every repaired relationship, every ascent from despair, every joy after grief, every recovery from addiction, every coral reef regeneration, every achievement of justice, every rediscovery of beauty, every miracle, every found hope, becomes a sign of what Jesus did in history and of a promised future where all things will be made new. So as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, therefore we do not lose heart. Your labor is not in vain. We keep working, we keep proclaiming, we keep struggling, we keep mending broken bodies and caring for broken souls and caring for the broken creation and working for healing and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, inviting all to trust in his resurrection life And we do this not believing that somehow, oh, we're going to make this world a better place. No. We do this because we know Jesus has already done it. William Stringfellow was a Christian social leader in the 1970s. And at a meeting, he was addressing a group of social justice advocates when they were particularly discouraged because a key project had failed. And this is what he said to them. He said, look, I see your passion for truth and justice, and I laud that. You see, you're discouraged. You lament the world's hardness of heart. You're correct there too. However, what I do not hear in any of your words is anything about the lordship of Jesus. And this is what he said. I love this. He said, we talk as if we need to save the world, as if everything depends on us. Well, it doesn't. In the resurrection of Jesus, the world is already saved. The powers of death and darkness have already been vanquished. We, we only need to live in such a way so as to show the world that we believe this. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Death has already been vanquished. Evil has already been defeated. The powers of hell have already been conquered. The future is already secured. The new creation is already on its way. But it's not yet here in fullness, and so we wait. And in the meantime, what do we do? We only need to live in such a way so as to show the world that we believe this. We live it out in our personal lives, in our relationships, in our life in and for the world. This is our greatest calling. This is our greatest joy. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are risen from the dead. And though sometimes it just doesn't even feel like it or look like it, you said over and over again, though we knuckleheads didn't somehow pick it up, that your kingdom is like a tiny little seed that advances slowly and hiddenly and that one day the harvest will come. And yet we must have faith that the seed indeed is growing beneath that cold ground. So help us to have eyes of faith that we might continue to participate in the resurrection life that is now in us and in the world that is heavily, steadily advancing Give us eyes to see and faith to be a part of it. In Christ's name, amen.